Welcome to Debrief by MedPro Group, an inside look at some of the 500,000 plus medical malpractice claims handled by our company. In this podcast, our claims experts share the interesting, unique, and often intriguing elements of cases they have handled. Ready? Let's begin. Welcome listeners, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. Today we have with us Sandra Bevins. Sandra, thanks for joining us on today's episode. Hi, thank you for having me. So Sandra, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into all the details about today's case. Sure. So first, I am a former litigator, and at some point in my career, I decided to switch over to claims, and I've been handling medical malpractice claims now for about eight years. I've been with MedPro since 2018, and I spent the first few years here working on our senior care book of business, and now I am handling most of our senior care COVID claims. So it's a little bit of a switch. Okay. Definitely sounds like it could be very interesting and complex at times. You can say that again. <laughs> interesting and complex. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a change, but um, I think we're really paving the way for some of the defense of those claims. Well, we are definitely glad to have you on the show today and glad to have you at MedPro. So you have a very interesting case for us today, and I would love for you to give us some high-level details about what went on with this case. Sure. So the claim that I am here to discuss today occurred in a relatively small psychiatric hospital. It is not necessarily a geriatric psychiatric hospital, although the patient that we will be discussing was an elderly person. He was 81 years old. Um, He had a history of dementia, and he did have some behavioral disturbances with that. So he had some physical aggression, some verbal aggression, not necessarily uncommon in a dementia patient, but his was severe enough that he needed to be in a psychiatric facility as opposed to some other long-term residential facility. So the claim that this person was involved in arose because he was assaulted by another resident. Again, not necessarily uncommon in a psychiatric hospital, but in this one, we have some particularly bad facts for our insured. So our insured is the facility itself. We did not insure the staff members who were involved in this, just the facility itself. And if I can paint a picture of the scene for you, this man is in a common room within the facility, and the room has chairs lining two of the walls and windows lining two of the walls and two of the corner walls um, so that staff outside can see inside, staff inside the room with patients can see outside of the room. Those windows kind of become important to this. So the resident was in this room minding his own business, not really you know, doing anything that he wasn't supposed to be doing. And he got up uh, and decided to walk out of the room. And I should mention that we have this on video. There was a a video camera inside the room so we could see all of this happening. So he's getting up out of his chair, walking over toward the exit door. And as he approaches the exit door, it opens from the outside. And there are two CNAs who are assisting a different resident coming into the room. And... As the CNAs and the other residents start walking into the room, the other resident pushes our patient, our plaintiff, to the ground. 
There's no real rhyme or reason to it. You know, you don't see any verbal altercation happening beforehand. He just shoves the guy. And the CNAs who are with him just kind of leave him there. Oh, my. Which is where... (laughs) Exactly. That's what makes this one a really difficult one to, to resolve and, you know, to work through is the fact that, you know, we've got these two women who see this 81 year old man fall to the ground and they really didn't do anything about it. They continued to help that other patient into the room and leave our plaintiff on the floor and walk away. Wow. So you've got a lot of dynamics at play here. You've got a facility that has all differing ages. Right. So it's not necessarily specific to one demographic. Right. Although we know that the different demographics require different levels of care, different levels of attention. And so that creates a unique situation, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the standard of care within a psychiatric hospital is not always the same as it is within something like a skilled nursing facility or even an assisted living facility. The level of care really depends on exactly what type of facility you're in. But I think what everyone across the board can understand, and and you don't even really need an expert to understand this, is that when you see an 81-year-old man get shoved to the ground, you don't walk away. Right. And that's where we run into the problems here. Really doesn't matter what kind of facility you're in. Certainly the standard of care requires them to come to his assistance in this type of situation. So tell me, do we have any idea how often a situation like this occurs where there's an altercation between two different residents? Is that something that a facility like this would see as usual and anticipate? In a psych facility, it's relatively common. I certainly don't want to say that it is common, but it does happen. And it happens with some frequency to the point that there usually are practices and procedures in place to prevent that. If you know that resident A is incredibly violent and aggressive and is basically going to try to punch anybody who comes in his path, you keep him isolated from other residents who he may have a problem with. Here, though, we didn't necessarily have that fact pattern. So we don't have two residents with a previous altercation or you know anything that would necessarily make these women think, well, we need to keep these two people apart. We, we don't have that at play, which is at least good for our case, but it doesn't negate the fact that this did happen. And it's, it's something that staff would certainly be trained how to deal with. They should know what to do. They're certainly trained to come to the aid of people who have been injured in an altercation. So to just walk away like they did is not something that we would have expected as the employing facility. Okay. So just for a point of clarification, when you say we, that means the facility that was insured by MedPro, is that correct? Correct. Okay. But it doesn't mean the employees that the facility hired to watch the residents. Correct. Can you explain that nuance for us a little? Sure. So our facility, and this is very common among long-term care facilities especially, but also psych hospitals, our facility hires outside staff to be the people on the ground within the facility. So the two CNAs who were directly involved in the incident were employed by a nursing agency. Our facility was not their actual employer. There was a contract in place between our facility, our insured facility, and their employer that the nursing staffing agency would provide bodies on the ground to do the work. As part of that, our 
our insured facility is making sure certainly that these people are properly licensed, properly trained. They do provide in-service training to outside staff members, but it does benefit our insured in a situation like this because we can bring those other parties to the table too. And that's something that I definitely will discuss later because that's a key element in how we ended up resolving this claim successfully. Well, I don't want to hold up that process too much because I'm sure our listeners are excited to hear how that worked out. <laughs> but it seems to me like the issue wasn't necessarily that the resident was pushed and fell, but more that he wasn't attended to quickly. Right. The story actually gets even a little bit juicier, if you will. Like I said, this man was knocked to the ground. The two CNAs obviously saw it happen. They were right there and they walked away. I mentioned before that the room that these people were in was lined with windows so that people outside could see in. They both kind of stopped and paused and looked back in the room after they had exited, saw him through the windows and just kind of kept walking on their way. About 12 minutes later, and again, this is all on video, um, so we have a pretty clear timeline of exactly what happened. Uh, about 12 minutes later, we have a third CNA, again, not somebody employed by our facility, an outside staff agency nurse. She comes in, she sees the patient on the floor, walks past him, takes vital signs of somebody else who happened to be in the room, and just, again, kind of ignored the guy on the floor, which is problematic. And kind of the long story short about this is that nobody comes to his aid until about 23 minutes after he fell. And even at that point, there's an even longer delay until he's helped and taken up and put into a wheelchair and really given some medical attention. It can sort of take some time to get the man properly assessed and into a wheelchair and, you know, taken to a different part of the facility. But the problem is our video basically shows two or three people just kind of standing over him, looking at him. And those optics are not great in front of a jury. No, not at all. So was this patient trying to get himself up? Was he moving? Was he just laying there motionless? He was conscious. Uh, he was not trying to get himself up, though. He was pretty much just laying there. And the likely reason for that is that he did sustain a hip fracture in the fall. Okay, so that would definitely make it hard to get up and try to move around. So tell us, how did this progress from here? How did it eventually become a claim? So his wife was the technically the plaintiff in the lawsuit, and they brought a lawsuit against our facility. They also brought it directly against the two CNAs who were originally involved in the incident and who firsthand saw him fall to the ground and not do anything. I should also mention that those two women were both criminally charged for their conduct. The situation we were left in was the MedPro insured was certainly named in the lawsuit, and the allegations against us were failure to train staff, failure to ensure that we had competent staff there. It was sort of those corporate claims, not necessarily the claims for the actual actions of these people. Certainly, we would have faced vicarious liability for them if we had gotten that far down the road. But when you have a case with this sort of fact pattern, as the claims analyst, your number one goal when you see this is, I need to resolve this. This is not something that we really want to put before a jury. It's your job to try to figure out what is the best pathway to getting the best result for my insured? How, how do I go about making sure that we certainly offer fair compensation, but not overly compensate the plaintiff? Sure. And you know what mix of people 
do I need at the table, the negotiation table to, to accomplish that? And we were lucky in that the plaintiff's attorney, like I said, did bring in a few of the other parties involved here. So we did have two staffing agencies at the table with us, which was really great. And that's part of how we evaluate cases. We definitely want to defend those cases that need to be defended, but settle those that need to be settled, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think what you said is spot on. We want to defend those claims that are defensible and that we feel our insured, our caregiver really did not do anything wrong and there was no negligence. Falls happen in nursing facilities and with elderly patients and especially in elderly patient in a psychiatric hospital, somebody who is physically aggressive. You see falls happen all the time. And just because somebody fell and was injured doesn't mean that any of our staff did anything wrong. In this situation, though, obviously, we have a different scenario. And even more so when you have a video that a jury can watch all of this happen. You know, it's it's a little different when you're relying on people's recollections. Right. You know, especially when most lawsuits aren't even filed for a few years after the incident happened. Between an incident and the time somebody testifies at trial, you could go four, five, six years easily. So when you're working with just a recollection and a story that somebody is telling six years down the line. It's certainly different for a jury to hear that than it is for them to see a video of two women watching an old man shoved to the ground and just walking away. It's a really bad optic to put in front of a jury. Well, the subjectivity goes away, right? Absolutely. And so from our insured's perspective, they really had no way to anticipate this situation. They hadn't had any prior issues with those employees. There hadn't been any issues between these two residents. There wasn't an indication that the one resident was going to get violent with the other one. And so there wasn't anything they could have done to proactively prevent this situation, which can be challenging. Is that correct? Right. The incident itself really was not the problem here. The hook where we came in was the training that we had provided. We did not have records of providing these two particular people in service training within a certain time frame prior to this incident happening, which is where our facility may have misstepped. And that's primarily why we decided that we did want to contribute to settlement. I love that we're talking about this case because it's such a great example of why risk management is so important Mm -hmm. and make sure that training is done and documentation of the training is done. And those small steps can prevent what would otherwise be an unfavorable outcome. Absolutely. And the paperwork is a huge part of this, especially in the long-term care world. I would say 98% of my lawsuits involve issues where the paperwork is not put into place perfectly. You know, if the standard of care requires that you document X, Y, and Z every single day, and you only have X and Y documented for two weeks and you didn't document Z, plaintiff's attorneys can absolutely run with that. And it's problematic because it's hard to prove that it was done when you didn't write it down. Here, we could not prove that we had trained these people. We think we probably did, but we couldn't prove it. We didn't have the paperwork to back it up which is why we ended up having to contribute to settlement. If we had had that documentation in place, I think it would have changed the landscape of our defense or maybe we would have resolved it for less money. Okay, so 
to your point, this this is a case that really should not have been placed in front of a jury. There's there's no subjectivity with the video evidence and so forth. So how did this get resolved? So for this one, our first step was to make sure that we had all parties at the table. Like I said before, we were lucky in the fact that the plaintiff's attorney did bring in a few of the other employers. There was one person involved whose employer was not brought into the lawsuit to begin with. So that was up to us to try to resolve. So initially, we did tender the claim over to this other company, but they did not accept the tender. And we decided to enforce the arbitration agreement that was in that contract. We ended up mediating our request for defense and indemnification from this staffing agency. And they did agree to contribute a sizable amount of money towards resolution of the claim. It ended up being probably about half of what MedPro ultimately paid to resolve the claim. We were reimbursed half of that from another staffing agency. A lot of it, when you have a case like this where there are so many actors and so many players, is really just making sure that you have everybody at that negotiating table and working with everybody to make sure that everyone who plays a part here is contributing. So Sandra, it sounds to me like you're doing a lot of negotiating through the process of settling claims. And to help our listeners understand better, can you maybe speak a little bit more to the difference in your role compared to that of the defense attorney? Absolutely. One of the questions that I get asked a lot as well as a claims adjuster, what's the difference between you and the defense attorneys? And I usually respond to that by saying, well, my job isn't to defend the claim. My job is to resolve this claim in a fair way. Maybe that is defending it. Maybe that is taking it to trial and making sure that, you know, my provider gets their day in court because we really don't feel the provider did anything wrong. But at the same time, you do run into claims where you have a problem. And in in that situation, it's my job to make sure that the injured party is compensated fairly. Absolutely. How long did this one take, start to finish? We resolved this one rather quickly. I would say my file was open for less than a year. Okay. Um, And that is, I know that might not sound like a quick resolution to a lot of people, Um, but it, it is, especially when you do have this many parties involved. But in the life of a typical claim, that's a pretty, pretty quick resolution. Yes, I was gonna say. We know that that's a pretty quick resolution, but to most people, that doesn't seem like it would be quick. And being that these processes are often very emotional and very taxing, even what's quick to our standards could seem like a lifetime to many other people. Absolutely. Sandra, this is certainly a very interesting and complex case, and I'm so glad that you were able to work on it and share with us this situation Because I think that there's a lot of great takeaways that we are able to get from this case. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm glad that I could share some insight on how to resolve one of our more difficult claims. Sandra, thank you again for being with us. We really appreciate your time. And listeners, join us again soon for our next episode of MedPro's Debrief. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Debrief. I've been your host, Travis Langford. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more information about MedPro, including healthcare liability insurance quotes and risk management resources, please visit us at medpro.com. A special thank you to the MedPro Group claims, legal, and marketing teams 
for researching, screening, and reviewing episode content, and providing marketing collateral and support for this podcast. Technical direction, music, pre- and post-production by Travis Langford. This podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice and should not be construed as rules for establishing a standard of care. Because the facts applicable to your situation may vary, or the laws applicable in your jurisdiction may differ, please contact your attorney or other professional advisors if you have any questions related to your legal or medical obligations, rights, state or federal laws, contract interpretation, or other legal questions. MedPro Group is the marketing name used to refer to the insurance operations of the Medical Protective Company, Princeton Insurance Company, Plyco Inc., and MedPro RRG Risk Retention Group. All insurance products are underwritten and administered by these and other Berkshire Hathaway affiliates, including National Fire and Marine Insurance Company. Product availability is based upon business and or regulatory approval and or may differ among companies. Copyright 2023, MedPro Group Inc., all rights reserved.